0: Welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. Today, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial Services and I talk about what is happening in the banking world, specifically why banks are in danger as we record this episode in mid-2023. We'll also discuss what depositors and customers need to know to protect themselves in these uncertain times. Hey Mark, welcome back to our podcast. It's very glad to be
1: on, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. So before we were recording, we were talking about what's going on with like banks, you know, if you haven't been watching the news or listening to the news, a lot of things are happening with banks right now. It's a really shaky time. Uh why why is it like what can you break that down? Like what is the problem or some of the problems happening in the banking industry now?
1: Yeah, I can't uh say that we're in normal times. We're in very weird times and the unfortunate truth is this is not the first or even really the biggest financial calamity that we've seen in our lifetimes with banks as we're recording this now it could mushroom to become even greater than 2008's banking crisis but uh even though we're not hearing it much called a banking crisis that's exactly what it is uh we're seeing many mid-sized regional banks hit financial turbulence and uh it's for a lot of the same reasons that they hit turbulence in 2008. They were taking unsafe bets with people's deposits because they can do something with your money when you deposit it with the bank. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that that when you deposit money into a bank, that it's just some in some shoebox with your name on it in some vault somewhere. <laughs> and that's just nothing further from the truth. Now, people think that, but Candidly, Sari, when you push people to say, well, where does the money go when you lend it, or when you give it, I should say, when you give it to the bank? Uh, when people are really faced with that question, they have to admit, yes, they probably loan it out to somebody else. And, you know, that has you know a register in people's minds. But honestly, when they really stop to ponder what that means, it quickly becomes apparent to them and to i think your listeners that there is no money at the bank and when there's no money at the bank it's not that different from the movie it's a wonderful life remember this movie it's a wonderful life where what's his name george bailey or whatever he uh he owns a little family bank and then there's a run on the bank for various reasons and and he's freaking out because he has no money he's like hey i don't have your money sammy it's in Susie's you know car payment. It's in Johnny's mortgage payment. it's It's in everybody else's pockets due to fractional reserve banking. So that's been the law of the land for many years, but it's become a lot worse in recent uh, recent years. And we're seeing more and more as interest rates rise and the portfolio of debt valued debt uh, falls, that has caused a lot of banks to become under the pressure. Of um insolvency, and that's what we're seeing in the news. Many banks are now calling it quits bankruptcy and and being sold for parts.
0: I see that right, and I think throughout history and throughout especially right now, a lot of I've heard a lot of people like uh interchangeably use banks and insurance companies as if they're the same thing, like oh yeah, banks and insurance companies borrow money, banks and insurance companies loan money out. But really, it's not the same thing, right? Um, Do you mind describing the differences like when an insurance company loans out money or stores money versus how a bank does that?
1: Yeah, I mean, and since this is your show, I'll let you take um, some lead on this as well. But you're right. Um, Banks are allowed to do something where they create money out of nothing. Uh, When I I give money, let's say $10,000 into my savings account, when I deposit that money, Banks are allowed to, you know, create money out of nothing by loaning out a hundred thousand, because they know that I might not require all ten thousand of my monies all at once, and even if I do, ten other people, nine other people can, you know, keep the bank solvent by not requesting all of their money at the same time that I request mine as a withdrawal. Now, life insurance companies are not allowed to inflate the money supply like that. Uh, they have to keep all of my deposit and then more on their balance sheet because why?
0: They're required, to. They're, they yeah, have they're to.
1: required to. Yeah, they're required to. Yeah. And why are they required to? Well, because there's a liability called a death benefit. So most people are like, well, Mark, why are you so into life insurance? Why <laughs> why not just use some other cool, more sexy financial product? And the honest truth is because only life insurance has a guaranteed asset for my family that is a liability to somebody else, the insurance company. So they have to have ready to go more than all of my cash value in case I croak this afternoon to pay my family, you know, 10 times my cash value or whatever that math works out to for each person's policy. So bottom line is insurance companies are not allowed to do fractional reserve banking the same way that banks are allowed to do. So what what, what would you add to that?
0: Yeah, and then also to the way we structure the life policies, they go up in value, the cash value and the life insurance both go up in value, which means that not only are life insurance companies required to meet the death benefit, like today, if you pass away, but also 30 or 40 or 60 or 80 years from now when the value is probably double or triple. So that means that insurance companies have to do certain things to grow their reserves. They can't just park it in a zero interest account. They have to do certain things. Um, And then typically what they're doing, right, is they're investing in mostly interest earning activities. So guaranteed contracts. So they're guaranteeing um, like uh, treasury bills, bonds, uh, money market mutual funds, high interest savings accounts they are doing certain things that, that are going to inflate the um, they're going to grow their accounts so that they can they can meet the demands of the customers, which is kind of different from what banks do, because banks are just hoping that their depositors keep the money there and they're hoping they can get the leverage and they're hoping that both sides work out.
1: You bet. Yeah. The Well, so you've brought up bonds and um, money market mutual funds and some other high interest savings and so forth. They must keep that money fairly liquid in case too many people pass away tomorrow. They have to pay out a death benefit within a couple of weeks, really. Uh, And, you know, my my mom passed away a few years ago and I received the death benefit from these life insurance companies within about two weeks. It was about seven to 10 days or so. And we got the checks. So to have that kind of giant liquidity fund is a pretty phenomenal feat that banks just don't have. It's amazing how razor thin their margins are in terms of liquid liquid margin, because, um, well, we're we're now seeing, as Warren Buffett likes to say, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. Yep. Uh, and the the liquidity of banks is showing they're going to go under faster, whereas life insurance companies are holding strong. There was a study we did for an episode. And in 2008, over 400 banks. Well, we're talking at this time, this recording, what are we up to now? Four or five banks mm-hmm. have yes, gone bankrupt. Yep. We're at uh, like PacWest was the most recent one. We're recording this in early May. um, So there might've been more when this goes live, but you know, four or five banks, and it's making head- headlines. Well, in 2008, it was over 400 banks went bankrupt. Not a single mutually owned life insurance company went bankrupt mm-hmm. in 2008. And that says something about the strength, right?
0: It was only, I think, AIG's investment division, right? Not not their insurance company, yeah. their investment division or their, uh, I guess, broker deal division. That's what, you know, their volatile section or department.
1: That's right. Uh so two things. One, AIG, their investment division, their mortgage division was went was went uh what went bankrupt. Two, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners did a study on AIG, kind of a post mortem, you might say. Yeah. And <laughs> they found that the life insurance division was what helped save AIG, because it's still yeah. in, in business today. Yes, so yeah, the life is. insurance business was the best part of the the business overall. And then third I would just mention they are not a mutually owned life insurance company. AIG is not mutually owned. And I am just of the opinion that when you are owned by the same people who have a lifelong stake in your success, you as a business are going to make smarter lo- I don't want to say smarter but you're going to have a different horizon of time, time horizon when you're working on 75 year you know lives and when you're when your owners are stockholders Mm-hmm. you're gonna be more interested in quarterly performance, aren't you?
0: Yeah, yeah when you're a stock owned company, I feel like you're just a tool for investors for Wall Street, for other institutional investors to be used like you're just mm-hmm. a company mm-hmm. a security in essence to mm-hmm. be used um so like what's like what like I guess how bad of a problem is it like let's just say the silicon what happened in Silicon Valley happens to like a hundred more banks how does that does it really impact us like can we really feel that as customers?
1: I'd like to know your thoughts on this. I mean, really, given given where we are right now in this economy, if we do Silicon Valley Bank a mm-hmm. hundred more times, what do you think is going to happen?
0: So I know that there is FDIC insurance up to a certain point. I believe two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll kick in. Um, I don't know if there's any if there are any limits to the amount of FDIC insurance out there. So I think that's where we up. But then, what happens to people who have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in various accounts? And then um, it would probably scare a lot of other people and then they would take money out of their bank accounts and then it would scare a lot of investors and they would sell their stock in other publicly traded banks, which probably means that if anything, it's going to be worse for for publicly traded banks. I think that it could probably create some sort of room or benefit for credit unions because I think credit unions are in essence like mutually owned banks. Um, so mm. that could probably save the day. But I don't know what are your thoughts on that. Do you think there's any difference or are credit unions also in the same um trouble as banks are?
1: Well, there's a lot of small, very yeah, large group of very small banks under a hundred million. Uh, and then we've got these mid-sized regionals that have been showing up in the news mostly, and then you've got the mega banks. Uh, that are, you know, your JP Morgan's and Bank of America's and so forth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think FDIC is maybe one of the worst parts of our banking system, (laughs) candidly. All right. And here's why I think that. So again, I'm a bold opinion. I could be way wrong. Call me a, you know, crazy cuckoo guy, whatever. But um, why is, what, what would happen if we did not have an FDIC? Well, one, we'd have higher interest rates on our savings accounts. Because every bank has to pay money to FDIC to fill in the coffers at Mm -hmm. FDIC. Okay, so if they're not paying money to FDIC, they can be more competitive with their savings rates and attract us as savers to go deposit money at their banks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so FDIC sucks money out of, there's a large sucking sound coming from the FDIC and it takes money out of your bank balance sheet and puts it on theirs. So when you have an insurance policy um, that, that, uh, on your bank, you're typically like, if I, if I just went around without any, um, home insurance, I probably would be a lot more careful with starting a fire in my fireplace, (laughs) you know, like I'm still pretty careful, but if I didn't have homeowners insurance, I probably would like get rid of all matches in my entire house and, you know, make sure that I'm soaking it with water every day and everything like that. Yeah. The point is, when you have insurance, sometimes you take a bit more risk. Yeah. And that's what happens with banks when. um, And honestly, I don't. Did you investigate your bank's balance sheet, Sari, before you opened up your checking account with them? No. Did you just open up a checking account? Of course not. Right. Just follow the herd and open up. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. (laughs) So uh, I did not investigate my bank when I was um, opening up my bank account. I didn't check to see if they were sound. Well, before FDIC, that was pretty well what we did. There, there could be think about it if we didn't have an fdic we could have a little consumer reports guide for which yeah. banks are safer and which ones have better balances we don't care about any of that we just open up the nearest bank and we just get get on with our life okay so now let me answer your question yeah um there i think there are probably there is no fdic for credit unions but there's a similar entity out there yeah. for credit unions I forget what it's called actually, yeah, but... I remember it, too. It's like a different yeah. uh, association or d- division. Another acronym, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So the, you know, the, as of as of the end of 2022, uh, there was a fund for banks that were in trouble at the FDIC. Basically, it's their it's their reserves, what they had access to, what they had saved, and grand total at the end of 2022, it was 128 billion dollars to cover losses of depositors if a bank went bankrupt all right but after fdic seized first republic bank yeah and after uh, silicon valley bank and its failures that was a loss uh down to now we're just down to 92 billion which sounds like a lot but if you think about all of the yeah what is the total deposits of all bank accounts in this country
0: I mean, you could just probably uh, uh, like you could probably come up with an estimate based off the GDP, like how big the economy is as a country, and then probably, I mean, a trillions mm. of dollars. It has to be trillions of dollars in cash and, res- and and deposits. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. As I'm looking at it here, it's um, it, am I reading right? It's a 17.1 trillion dollars of bank deposits. Um, so 92 billion is what we're down to at the FDIC. If we have just a couple more bank failures and they keep giving us clearance to cover all the um the deposits above 250,000 i mean when are we going to be out of money at fdic not too many right. more big banks are going to have have to go down before we're out of fdic coverage
0: and then at that point like if banks went went under and then the depositors lost money and then fdic fdic insurance ran out of their reserves then plain and simple um the customer, the, the the bank customer would just have to um it's as if they invested in an insolvent in business at that point. That's yeah. essentially what mm-hmm. would happen.
1: Either they'd lose their deposit, mm-hmm. which would cause a run on every other bank instantly. Yeah. Or there would be another massive taxpayer bail bailout. Uh-huh. Uh which is oh wait, who are taxpayers? Oh yeah, bank depositors are taxpayers. <laughs> so <laughs> you're losing money either way is the idea there. So I don't have um I don't have a lot of faith in my bank being mm-hmm. a safe place to park money, and I'm I'm happy to say that you, mm-hmm. and I are working with our clients to give them alternatives. What would we do instead, Sari? Tell me what's the what's the alternative?
0: Well, oh well, yeah, definitely because we, we as we started recording, we talked about the differences between like spe- specifically life insurance companies and how they handle their money versus uh, banks. So like I, in my opinion, I think and part of the bank on yourself concept is that life insurance companies are the safest place on earth to store your cash. And because it's actual real cash that's there and that's properly managed and that's regulated uh, every I think every quarter, it's regulated by every state that an insurance company operates in. So I prefer to park money there. Um, So, yeah, I definitely I see that happening. I just think that what would happen in the case of like, if, if everyone, you know, puts their money into cash value, whole life insurance, how do we still use it? Like for paying our electric bill or our water bill, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind Mm -hmm. of where I'm confused at. Maybe you can help me bring some clarity there. Like how do we use it on a daily functional basis?
1: Yeah, you're right. You still, you you don't get a debit card associated with your life (laughs) insurance policy or anything. So, and there's, there's nowhere to get like a life insurance ATM machine that I'm aware of. (laughs) So my best my best answer to this great question it's a thoughtful question is um we've gone through banking crises before mm-hmm. even before ftic and life insurance companies were able to make it think of it this way as long as there is exactly one bank in the entire world it doesn't even have to be the united states yeah. as long as there are, there's a bank open in the world with a yeah. ability to get you know checks written you can have the insurance company direct your loan your loan request to the Switzerland bank that's still open and you can operate your life as normal, you know, mm-hmm. when everyone else is without money. And oh, by the way, it's like the one-eyed man becomes king in the world of the blind. You know, when you're the one with a big pile of money in your wheelbarrow and everybody else is seeing their deposits going to zero, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to be happening to real estate yeah, or stocks or any other assets? raw land, whatever you're into. And now you've got the giant pile of money because you were able to access your contractual guaranteed cash value. What could you possibly do with all that money whenever the world is on fire and, and no one else has access to their cash?
0: Yeah, yeah, you'd be able to buy it at a, a fraction of the cost. you know. Um, and I, I think that's happened already in some places in the world, like in Lebanon, uh, cash mm-hmm. essentially is uh, uh, the, the government is holding up cash. So people now mm-hmm. are using assets and they're using other things to get by, just to buy groceries, just to get through. So yeah, it drives. it's going to drive the price of assets down because there's no cash in the economy to buy mm-hmm. those things. So yeah, it's going and to... Then, and then in the case of the investor who has access to guaranteed growing cash, uh, it gives that person the upper hand because when they go borrow from the insurance company, the insurance company is not going to give you a loan based off the asset you're buying. They're going to give you a loan based
1: off of the insurance policy as an asset. Tell, tell me more about that and why that's so important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, in, for example, in 2008, one of the biggest problems was if you if you had great credit, you had great income still, um, and then you wanted to buy a property or you had a property, for example, and then you, you had it paid up and you wanted to loan against it. The bank is, they're going to look at your credit, they're going to look at your income, but they're also going to look at the value, the market value of your property. And the market values of properties in 2008 were heavily, they were impacted dramatically, like probably like by like 50 or 60%. So if you had a house that was 300,000, the bank would say, if the bank was willing to give you a loan, they would say, well, we'll give you a loan up to like 150,000. So like 80% to LTV. Uh, and that's going to, and then let's just say you needed 300,000 in that case, that's going to really hurt you to take like half that money as a loan or even to sell that. But if you had that money in a whole life policy and then you wanted to buy a home, for example, the insurance company is going to not going to look at the property. They're going to look at the insurance policy itself. Okay, you have $300,000. We'll give you 90% of that 300000 as a loan, regardless of you whatever you use that money for.
1: Mm, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I just, I'm just working with someone who she has eight, nine properties right now. And uh, she's wanting to purchase another one. She's selling one in her portfolio and she wants to buy another one. And, uh, you know, no banker uh, with interest rates rising, yep. it gets tough to to become really loose with lending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no banker, very few bankers are really excited uh, to, to give out loans at low interest rates. Well, life insurance policy loans are way below. Mm-hmm. I saw a 12% HELOC the other day. 12% HELOC. And of course, bank credit cards are at 24% on the average, last I checked. But life insurance policy loans, if you take a loan from a policy and you repay that loan over a reasonable period of time, yeah. pick, a, pick a length of time, let's say eight years, it's going to yeah. be under 3% APR, uh, annual percentage rate, according to where things are at right now with the insurance company policy loans. why is it so? Why are they allowed to do that? Why are they able to do that? Because they know you're good for it. They yeah. know you're gonna pay that back. Because even if you don't pay it back during your lifetime, gets deducted from the death benefit when you pass away.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's not it's we were talking about this before we were recording. It's not like when you go take out, for example, from one of the insurance companies, Lafayette Insurance Company, you go to take out a loan from them. It's not like they have to leverage another commercial bank for that they're mm-hmm. taking money out of their literal accounts their funds and then loaning that out to you so that means that, that it's not like it, like we looked at as some of the projections if you get a, i think a, a policy in November of this year interest rates are 5% still so that mm-hmm. means that regardless of what happens with the primary between May of this year and November of this year it's still 5% and then the reason why is because they're not leveraging that money from other commercial banks whereas you could never get a you can never go to your mortgage lender right now and say hey, in November, let's lock in the rate from now. I think you can lock it in, I think, like 30 days before or something like that, a very yeah. short window, but no lender's going to say, oh, I'll lock it in from now because what if interest rates go up, like, dramatically go up, then the bank is going to lose money on that loan. But insurance companies don't mm-hmm. have those same restrictions or those same problems.
1: That's right. You're locked in. Your rate is locked in for a whole year. That's a great deal when it comes to, like, just having some certainty. And for yeah. a lot of families and businesses, certainty is a rare commodity these days. Yeah. You mentioned 5%. And I don't want to dither with too much here because yeah. I know our time is getting short, but you're right. 5% is a great deal right now, even for a mortgage yeah. right now. But uh, it's a 5%. You, I'm You, sure you know this and you tell your clients this, but I'll just let your audience know. It's a 5% simple interest mm-hmm. rate. So what's the difference between 5% compound and 5% simple and why does that matter?
0: Yeah, it's a lower cost of capital. So like when you, for example, your credit card, your credit card balance will roll over month after month, it will carry the previous balance and then roll that into the roll it forward. So it ends up costing you a lot more money in interest. Whereas with life insurance loans, you take out a loan, for example, 5%, they would take that amount, let's just say a thousand dollars in total interest that they calculated, then they would divide that by 365 days which comes out to like a dollar a day um in and in, in a loan in and in, that increases your balance. So in, in general, it's a much cheaper form of using yep. uh capital when you when you yep. have simple interest.
1: And just to put uh some numbers on that, if it if it took you about eight years to pay off a loan with five percent simple interest, that works out to, like I said, about three percent annual percentage rate, which is you know even better than five percent. You know, that's yep. better, heck, that's better than any other loan I can find out there on the market right now, which is why a lot of people are using their policies, Sari, mm-hmm. to uh, pay down or pay off their HELOC, their home equity line of credit, yep. or even to pay off their house mortgage. I'm even seeing people make the decision to borrow from their policy and wipe out their higher interest mortgage. We just had a couple; they used a policy loan. They bought their house the normal way with a mortgage, mm-hmm. and like you know, it was a pretty high mortgage historically speaking. Uh, and 6% something. Mm-hmm. And they said, all right, we're going to pay on this mortgage for a year or two, but we're going to just cram money into our policy such that in just a year or two, we'll be able to pay off the mortgage uh, with our policy wow. and bring their interest rate down. And t- talk about a, a relief because now their repayments on their policy loan are optional to them. You know, they can lower it down if they need to, raise it back up if they need to. Uh, they have a much better interest rate over time. Mm-hmm. And... You know, they're they're in control. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think, you know, like when we when we put it this way, I think everyone should be using this in some sort of way. Like it's the same thing as, you know, um, instead of just paying off your loan directly faster to the the lender, uh, the principal interest faster to them. You have it go through a policy first and then you leverage your policy and then you use that money to pay down the loan faster because you want to save it, I guess, first before you just give it to the lender directly. Because if you want that money back, now you have to refinance or you have to go through the whole banking process again. But if you mm-hmm. have to go through your policy first and then you borrow against that, then you can in the future, you can come back and say, well, I ha- I've built up this much in my whole life policy. Now I'm going to just borrow against it. Uh, yeah, Mark. I know we're running short on time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you you being on the show again
1: uh, and for your input. Yeah, no problem. Let's do this again as much yeah. as you want, man. Thanks for a lot for having me on.
0: Thank you. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's f i n assetprotection.com.